Hi, welcome to It Is Complicated, the podcast that answers every single question with It Is Complicated, or more specifically, covers issues that should be simple if we weren't so different all the time, making everything complicated. Good day to you, Dr. J. Hi, Josephine, pretending that we haven't chatted for about 45 minutes up to this point. Yeah, because <laughs> we're professional. We are professional. And we have an editor. <laughs> Who I drive insane. Yeah, I have it on good authority that she has a moments of apoplexy every week <laughs> trying to figure the shit out. Hello, Josephine. How has your week been? Uh, do you want the honest answer or do you want the radio answer? Oh, we always want the honest answer because there is no fucking fine at the moment. Uh, that's my answer. <laughs> It's a noise. Have you seen that Twitter page? Today's gender is. Oh yes, it's amazing so good. descriptions. Today's today's uh, description of my week is. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're, I mean, it it sucks, but I'm, we're okay. <laughs> it's just I'm happy now. I'm happy talking to you. I'm happy to to record another episode. Uh, it is complicated. That's pretty much where I'm at as well. I, I, somebody, oh no, my lovely friend Tito tweeted it really, really well. And I will try to find the link to the tweet. Twitter feed, the world is on fire. LinkedIn, remote working is the new norm. And speaking of LinkedIn, Jay, do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> I knew that. I knew that that would come back to haunt me. <laughs> For those who are new to this and haven't heard this every single time up till now, hi, I'm Dr. J. I'm what you get when you allow people to self-describe. So I gave myself the job title, Harbinger of Change. Um, and I gave myself the gender, Transgressive Non-Binary Gender Queer. Both of those are official. One is on my business cards and the other one, well, I have a statutory declaration and it is officially my gender according to the New Zealand government. Thank you, Jacinda. Um, uh, uh, I'm also a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance. Because branding. Because branding. I'm going to have to add that every single time. So it's hashtag queer nuisance because branding. branding. <laughs> In parentheses. Um, well, and I shall introduce myself as well. My name is Josephine Baird. I am an independent scholar, activist, and artist. Currently more of a visual artist and podcaster by nature. You can see my stuff here and on Instagram and other places. And that's it. <laughs> you are not a queer nuisance at all. No, we decided, we decided recently I was a queer without portfolio. Ah, yes. So we're going to talk about um, allyship today as a concept, um, as it relates to the current situation in our lives and in our personal lives, Dr. J and myself, but also in a cultural sense in the many different places that we have been, have friends in, and are concerned about at this moment. Yeah. I mean, we've essentially got the situation of, as we're sitting here today, prides have been cancelled. That's, But that seems a small thing when you move on to the other two things, which is um, young black men, or not even young black men, black men are being harassed and killed in, in the USA, but also... Uh, being systemically oppressed across both the UK and the US. And um, that impacts on the first one because 
queer, trans and intersex people of colour are doubly oppressed. And then when you start to talk about it, you start to talk about what does it mean to be an ally? What does it mean to be an ally across some of those privileges and recognising the privileges that we have, even though we're not privileged compared to some other people? Privilege is always relative and complicated. But also, how can you be a good ally? What are the things that makes a good ally to us and that we can then reflect to be a good ally to others? And is allyship the model to work on or is there another model to work on? Because just to be blunt, my thesis is that allyship is flawed. Allyship says, in a lot of spaces, people have said, I would be your ally if only you weren't so angry, if only you could could stop screaming about this, if only you would be calmer, if only you would be these things. And I've heard that said to me, and I can see people saying that to the Black Lives Matter protesters. I can see people saying that to the people currently protesting on the streets in American cities. And is there another thing outside of allyship that we need to be? I think it's really interesting to frame it that way because for me, then it raises the question of, is allyship conditional? Right, because it's it sounds in the way you're describing it that allyship is always conditional on good behavior. Um, I've seen it in relation to trans people. It's allyship is conditional on you passing, you know, and and being um, a binary gender. That's that's sometimes what I see. It's like, well, you've got to be a good trans person. You've got to pass, and you've got to fit in, and you've got to not rock the boat too much, and you not be too angry. And you know, as it's conditional, your allyship is conditional. Also, allyship places you in the position of being very, very different from the people you are supposedly allying with. You're not implicated. An ally isn't as implicated as the person who, obviously, that's the case. When you call it allyship, and especially when it's conditional, you really are separating yourself from those people who you're supposedly empathizing with. And and that also leads to the problem of unacknowledged privilege within that allyship. If somebody is being mm. my is being my ally and not recognizing the privileges that 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 they've got, um, and then saying I'm not good because I can't act like them. And I'm like, well, I've never been able to act like you because you have privileges that I've never had access to. You have privileges that I could never have access to. Mm. Um, And then they make their support be conditional upon that behavior. I've never seen another version of allyship that's not had those conditions. That's not had that conditionality applied to it because I don't think allyship in the way that it's structured, it's, it almost comes across as paternal or, um, and I'm going to use the word patronizing in an, in an old sense of, the, of that kind of patron saying, yes, I take you under my wing because you are the one of these people who is able to come and sit at the table and be articulate and represent all of the others is also the way that it goes sometimes of like, yes, yes, we've got our queer at the table and it's Dr. J and Dr. J, you'll sit there and you'll tell us how we can engage with your community. And I'm like, the fuck I know. I'm only, there's just me. I can only represent being me. I can't, don't want to represent an entire community of me. I want you to make space for more people like me at this table. Oh no, we've got you. So how do we, how do we connect them with your community? And I'm like, come talk to them. Don't expect me to do all the work. 
you know, that, that, that's that corporate allyship that comes in as well. Well, it's, it, it sounds a lot like the feelings that I've always had with the word tolerance, you know, and there's this preaching of tolerance that was always being, this was definitely something in the 80s and 90s mm. and then into the early 2000s. So the one thing I always heard is like, we must, we must be tolerant. We must tolerate. I'm like, fuck tolerate. <laughs> Just accept, you know, accept, listen, empathize, be there, be present, be available. Don't tolerate me. Fuck your tolerance. Tolerate me says I'm wrong and you're being nice to me despite my wrongness. And it constantly points out that I'm not part of the group. It constantly points out that I'm not part of the in crowd. I'm tolerated as as long as I'm good. And that is just such a stressful position to be in. And it's, it's, con- it's conditional. Yeah. And it, 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 it creates a standard that you're supposed to live up to the, mm-hmm. and then when you break the rules, they that will, you don't know about that you don't know about, they will, they will then punish you for that. And then of course, if you'd say, well, the rules are the problem, they'll say, yes, 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 we know that. And you should work to change it, but not that way. And not that way. Oh no, no, not that way either. And mm. this is what's become really, really evident from the protests and movements that are happening in the United States and elsewhere right now is that the, the protests which have become more angry and animated are being criticized for being angry and animated. It's like, well, you should do this in a peaceful manner. It's like, no, you weren't listening when it was a peaceful. In fact, you, you criticized. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. No change has ever happened because you asked the people in charge to change and they did it magnanimously. No rights that you have have been acquired that way. It doesn't exist. It's a mirage. It's a myth, mm. a standard to hold people to that, that just is impossible. I mean, I finally got around to reading Audrey Lord, The Master's Tools Will Not Dismantle the Master's House. Mm. Um, and that realizing that that was written in the time is sometimes around the 70s, 70s, early 80s, I believe. Future Josephine will have to go correct me on this one. <laughs> um, Ask her nicely. Please, future Josephine, tell me, tell me the year. I'm so proud of you for doing that. <laughs> the essay that you're referring to was published in a collection in 1984. I only read it about two months ago, and I was like, this is everything that I've needed to hear, and it's all of those things, and it is about busting up that nature of allyship and that, that nature of conditionality. Um but written from the other side of don't just keep being allies to me. Don't, but also don't expect me to fit in with this oppressive narrative that's going on. And I can't change the patriarchy because I'm not a member of the patriarchy. So I'm oppressed by it, but I'm not a member of it. I don't gain any benefits from it. And it's convincing members of the patriarchy to give up that, to give up those benefits and that's really, really hard. But it's, it's, it's also something that I'm having to do as somebody who is born with white privilege, is recognizing the privileges that I was born with, privilege that I shouldn't have. So how do I bust it up? How do I, how do I tackle that? How do I tackle that privilege in, in a constructive manner? And that to me is much more powerful than any allyship that I could have. I don't want this privilege. 
understanding that I have it has been one of those things that's taken me a good couple of years to get my head around. And now I'm trying to figure out how do I deconstruct it and take it away from me. And in doing that, I can show people how to deconstruct and take away their patriarchy, their heteronormativity, their cisnormativity in those same kind of ways. I've had to deal with a very weird shift in privilege. A number of years ago, I was being read very much more as a trans woman, literally being seen as someone who did not read as cis. Now, part of that was I didn't feel any need to hide my transness, and I still don't. And part of it was opportunity. But since I've lived here, and since I've had more opportunities to get some of the things that I've always wanted and couldn't access in the UK, a result of that is that I'm now being read more often as cis, which brings with a shift of privilege either way, because now that I'm being read as cis, I'm being treated very much as a woman. <laughs> and that isn't a privileged position necessarily, <laughs> but I am being treated as a white woman, which does have a certain amount of privilege. And I'm not being treated as often as a person who reads as trans, which isn't an, an increase in privilege. And it was a head fuck, I'll tell you, because I went from being absolutely terrified every time I walked down the street or went to the bathroom to reading as something else that I didn't quite know what it was, namely cis, but I couldn't relate to because I'm not. So there's this transness that vanished. I felt really weird about. It's a really difficult feeling. Like, okay, so what's happened here? And I think that reflection, that interrogation of your own situation, your own position is really crucial, no matter what the answer is. It's always going to be complicated. It's always going to be intersectional, as in lots of elements of yourself are going to intersect. So in my case, it would be my perceived gender, my perceived race, my perceived mental health status, my perceived status in any number of arenas and what they actually are and how they relate to those things. I've had to interrogate that throughout my life. In that regard, I think that's the answer to perhaps your question about dismantling from um, your own privilege and asking those in power to dismantle the privilege that you don't have access to. I mean, I, I like what you were saying. I like what you're saying about making space um, for others and that may be one of the most radical acts to your own privilege. For me, it's also been about learning that I don't know necessarily what the needs of a particular group who isn't currently included are. So not only do I need to make space, I need to listen. And I, I know that, and from my own experience as a trans woman, as a woman, as a person who is now being read as a cis woman, because those positions bring with them their own needs that I can't necessarily expect everyone to know as much as I would like for them to understand that there are more than two genders and that you should make space for them and that you should allow for that and not be horrible. <laughs> Although those things seem to be really basic. Mm. I would hope that someone would listen to me when I say, hey, I've got an issue that relates to my transness. I understand you don't know because you've lived in a system that has taught you one thing over and over again, so much so that you don't even realize that it's not true. You're benefiting from it. Please listen to me when I say, I really want you to change. And I have to do the same for everybody else. And in this moment, I think there's a spotlight being shone on a particular group who don't get heard ever. So it's, it's, it's time to listen. 
I think you made a really good point there. And I th- one of the things that I don't think anyone needs is a white knight or a white savior. And in any situation, I don't need somebody white knighting me. You, you don't need somebody white knighting you. And I'm using the term white knight as a generic knight on a shining armor coming along to rescue you. But essentially, there is also that white savior thing that it's like oh if 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 only i could step up and articulate what the uh what the very angry people are saying i can calm the situation it's like no no you ain't gonna do that listen to what people want don't step in and think you know best and don't step in and speak for people if you've got the ability if somebody is giving you the floor and you're not a member of the affected minority turn around and say a member of the affected minority, would you like to take my speaking spot? It's another thing about allyship that I find really tricky. I problematic. To, yeah, problematic. I try to pick my words really carefully here because it's like there's a notion about when someone says, when they want to express empathy, this is how I'm trying to approach this. They'll say, somebody will say something like, oh, this is my experience. And they go, oh, yeah, I understand. I try never to say that unless I literally mean it because I don't understand. I cannot imagine what it's like to not be white in this community because I haven't experienced it. I cannot understand it. I can empathize. I can try and imagine. I can put myself in that position as best as I can and hopefully work from that basis and understand that I am still white and still in this community. I cannot know what it's like to be a wheelchair user. I have a sense of what that might be like now because I've worked a lot with people who are wheelchair users. My partner occasionally uses a wheelchair. I have some knowledge, but I do not know what it feels to be that person. And I try really, really hard to express my empathy correctly in the sense of like, I imagine your experience must be this. I'm going to empathize and try and work from that basis, but I will never claim to understand because I don't. I wish I did. It might be, might help me, but actually the funny thing is, why do you need to understand in order to give someone rights? You don't, you don't need to understand. You just need to know that someone has an inalienable right to exist safely in, in their environment. It's just, this is not a shocking idea. And when presented with evidence, insurmountable evidence that that is not the case you don't need to understand you just need to accept and imagine you don't need to tolerate you don't need to say well yeah you're right but you shouldn't go about it that way you don't know you don't i i look at it and i can't imagine the stress that you go through being arrested unjustly being detained unjustly and not flipping off and having to stay calm because the moment you show any signs of aggression, that's going to make it worse. Well, I can imagine that. I can imagine that because I sometimes have that at work. I have that when I go through a security at the airport and I've got metal in my leg. I, my gender is unreadable. (laughs) I have a laptop that's covered in queer stickers um, and I go th- and I end up being sent via Qatar for work. You know, it's kind of one of those ones of, wow, I now have to sit in an airport, stay incredibly calm under the radar 
well under immense amounts of stress, but the, I can't show any stress because the moment I show that I'm under stress, people will look twice and that will then put me at risk of them asking deeper questions. And if they ask deeper questions, um, I might not make it through this airport. And it's kind of one of those things. Everyone's like, well, you're fine if you're in the airport. And I'm like, but what happens if I have to leave? What happens if there's an alarm? What happens if somebody gets annoyed at me, gets annoyed at the way that I stand or I sit or I've sat in the wrong place and they call over the security services? Because I saw that happen. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a disabled traveler. I'm sitting in the disabled area. There was a little bit of stress about who was going on which flight and a few things. And a couple of people got a little bit anxious and started to be a bit rowdy with some of the staff. And I'm sitting there going, I don't speak any of the languages going on. I don't quite know what's going on. I don't think it's including me. I don't think people are singling me out, but I'm under immense amount of stress here and I have to hide all of that stress. Now, I only had to do that for a day. I cannot imagine what it's like to have to worry about that every time you step out the door. I cannot imagine how much stress that builds up in your body. I cannot imagine how much you just want to scream and scream and scream of when will it actually be safe for me to step out the door and just do that shit. But I've been in a sliver of that situation. I know that I would be kicking off full stop at like the first because it makes you so itchy it makes you so tense it makes you so full of cortisol everything everything hurts so it does actually cause physical pain when you're sitting there going have I done enough that this that people will not kick off at me it's terrifying and I can't imagine, well, I can imagine what it's like, but I can't imagine what it's like to do it every day. And, that's and I think that's that. empathy. That, yeah, exactly what I was going to say. That's empathy. I mean, the thing is like, you're not discriminated on the basis of your skin color, but you are discriminated against on the basis of your gender identity, which is a different form of discrimination, which intersects with your skin color to make it even more complicated nexus of discrimination, but you are discriminated against on that basis. I'm discriminated against on the basis of my transness. I'm discriminated against on the basis of my womanness, too. That gives me insight that I can share when I'm trying to say, this is, a, I do know what it's like to walk out the door and every single day wonder if, have I done enough to survive today? with my appearance, with the way I talk, with the way I stand, with the way I, the, where the places I go, um, you, you name it. I, I have experienced that. It's less so now, weirdly enough, being red assist, but there are differences and privileges that I've also had shift being in another country, you name it. But, so I have those experiences. I can, I can speak to those experiences and I can empathize with others. I don't think you should have to go through those things to be able to empathize. However, I do think that we who have experienced, experienced other discrimination know better. This is something I've had arguments with people about. I think those, who discrimi those who've been discriminated against know, know what it's like. So it's even more incumbent on us to remember what it's like for those who are discriminated against on different grounds or even more grounds. 
on multiple grounds that we don't have to experience on a day-to-day basis. I do expect those people who, <laughs> who experience no discrimination to empathize and learn, but they're not going to listen as easily. So it's incumbent on us, especially like we really do need to listen. We really do need to engage that empathy and to remember, hey, I do have an experience that I can relate this to. It's not the same, but there is empathy there. And yet I still don't know what it's like for someone who would be in that position and is a person of color. And so the thing I need to do is to listen and remember that. Remembering while we are oppressed, we are not powerless. We, we all will have some privileges and it's using and bending those privileges to the betterment of others is where, is where I believe we need to be. And it's about using and bending those privileges to dismantle the system. This isn't going to stop being a problem tomorrow. And after the next couple of weeks are over and things change again, we need to keep doing this, which is why this podcast might go out the week starting the first of June, or it might go out six weeks later, and it'll still be just as important. And I think that is the, the, the really sad part. And that, that though it remains pertinent, that means it is a continued opportunity for us to be better, to, to give up those things that we have, to listen to those who don't have them, and to try and help make space for those changes to happen allyship and dismantling need to go not quite go hand in hand but they they exist as two parts of that same piece and so what is it called when you're not an when you're not an ally when you're actively out to dismantle i genuinely don't know what that word would be Do do you have a word for that one of the notions of going beyond the allyship is to become an accomplice I like it because I th- the thing that I've been trying to get into my head is the notion of implication, that an ally can always step away. You can always walk away from it. And unfortunately, I've seen a lot of people do this. Oh, no, I'm your ally. I'm your ally. Oh, you're a bit angry. I'm going to walk away. You are implicated. You are an accomplice. That is a good thing. You must implicate yourself. That, that statement that there is no neutral position in the face of oppression. No. To be to be neutral, you 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 are on the side of the oppressor. Well, you can't just not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. Racist. Yeah. yeah, you can't yeah. you can't just not be. You can't just say, "Oh, well, I'm not transphobic." You hacked. You have to be actively anti the transphobes. Yeah, because I can't stop them doing that. Because I'm implicated in such a way that they're never going to take me seriously. You need the other people to say, "I am." against transphobia you've got to be doing more and i do like the i do like the term accomplice i also like the idea of implication that you can't walk away you need to be in in the spot of it so that you can't walk away from it you can't step away from it and the opportunities that we have are very very different according to our positions and that is those complications but the simple the simplest element of this is to implicate yourself Stand side by side, but stay there in that space. Make space and stay in that space. Don't walk away and implicate yourself. You've done my job of pulling it all together into a very simple statement, but it's true. It's what we all have to do. We have to implicate ourselves in this. We have to step up and not walk away. Yeah. Now, I don't know how to end this one. 
dear listener. Uh, the problem is that usually we end with a um, joke about J.K. Rowling, but since I have no idea how many times we've now told that joke. <laughs> well, what I was also going to say to to anyone who wants to implicate themselves this week don't put money on our coffee don't buy us a coffee go and donate to the funds to get people out of jail the funds to help people with bail the funds to support people the funds to support the people who are standing toe to toe because i can't go and stand toe to toe i can't stand for that long and i can't go outside right now which sucks it does yeah I will attempt to bring up J.K. Rowling and we will say, I'd rather not. I'd rather not. not. (laughs) Yes, I really (laughs) fucking rather not this week. Absolutely. Love you, Jane.